we present Felix Aylmer in Trial by Judge, a play for radio by Michael Hardwick. Trial by Judge. Around the corner. Don't want to bother with a cab for that. Oh, I didn't know it was so near to King's Cross. Yes, yeah, a couple of stones, so. And what you got? Two bags and a handbag? Carry the lot for Bob, eh? Well, uh... Old soldier, ma'am. Spear wound, the flu something. Oh, very well, then. Uh, no, no, I'll keep my handbag. Suit yourself, lady. <clears throat> Off we go, then. Daylight robbers, them cabs. Lorin and now. quite so quickly. You, you said it was just round the corner. Well, we're round the corner, ain't we? Here, you can carry these yourself. What? I'll just take that. Oh, my handbag. Stop! Help! Thief! Hey, you stop! Get out of my way! No, give me... Give me... Damn you! Oh, thank you. Thank you. He didn't hurt you, did he? No, no, I'm all right. Uh, no use chasing him, though. Oh, no. Uh, your bag, madam. I'm very grateful. I should never have let him carry my things. From the station, was it? Yes, King's Cross. Thought so. Far too much of that sort of thing. I, uh, I wonder if you can direct me to Manchester Square. Manchester Square? Well, it must be quite near, I think. Manchester Square's a couple of miles from here, right over by Baker Street. But he said... Oh. Oh, well, that settles it. I shall just have to find a cab. Well, it mightn't be too easy just here. Tell you what, I'll take you to Manchester Square. If you'll trust me to carry your bags, that is. Oh, but you can't. No trouble. Quite near where I work, actually. Jenkins and Cappers, Wholesale Chemist, Baker Street. Really? Yes. You see, I like to get about the town a bit in my lunch hour. Look at the buildings, stroll around the shops. There's always something new to see in London. Yes. Yes, there must be. I've just been browsing around one or two bookshops near the museum. Uh, the British Museum, you know. Uh, that's it, uh, over there. Ah, oh, the British Museum. So that's how I happened to be coming this way, when I saw that fellow on you. Lucky for me. So if you're fit to go on now, oh, it must have shaken you a bit. Oh, I'm quite all right, thank you. You're not a Londoner, then? Oh, no, I'm from Sheffield. I'm sure I don't speak like a Londoner. Well, there's all sorts living down here, you know. Oh, uh, my name's Clawson. Arthur Clawson. Mine's Aldridge. Miss Aldridge. No, Mrs. I'm a widow. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's not recent. I lost my husband four years ago. Then, Mrs. Aldridge, what brings you to London on your own, if you don't mind me asking? Well, you probably think I'm a silly woman. No, of course not. Well, my late husband left me quite comfortable, and I just went on living in our house in Sheffield. We didn't have children. I see. I've always been fond of things like, well, music and the theatre and bookshops. I'm sure you understand the sort of thing. I certainly do. It was quite sudden last year. I realized how the days were going by, and I was still living on in the same old way, and Mm -hmm. all at once, I thought to myself... I'll sell the house and go to London like I've always dreamed of doing. Oh, let's just take a breather, if you don't mind. Oh, dear, those heavy bags. I I really think I ought to get a cab from here. No, no. Uh, You know, Mrs. Aldridge, if you don't mind me saying so, you're a woman... uh, uh, a lady to be admired. (laughs) Whatever for. It takes courage to sell up and arrive in London, of all places. After what's just happened, I'm not sure it isn't plain foolishness. Not it. I can tell you I've had to listen to some very stern words from my husband's family about the pursuit of pleasure. You should have heard them. <laughs> oh, there's more to be learned in the theatres and the concert halls and the music halls and just strolling around London in the lunch hour than I'll ever teach you in a school or in a meeting house. That's just how I feel. You do? Oh, what's that bit out of Omar Khayyam? Oh, Omar. And this I know, whether the one true light kindled to love or wrath consume me quite, one moment of it in the tavern court, better than in the temple lost outright. Oh, you... You might not believe me, Mr. Clawson, but last night when all my things were packed and I'd nothing more to do, I started a new diary, and I wrote that very verse on the flyleaf to remind me every day. Well... Oh, I say, though, it's nearly two. We'll have to be getting on. Oh, I should hate you to be late on my account, Mr. Clawson. Here we are. The Conway Private Hotel. I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Clawson. Now, you're not to trouble any further. I'll get the porter. Shall shall you be staying here long, Mrs. Aldrich? Just until I find my way about and decide whether to take apartments or buy a little house. I I wonder if you'd like me to, you know, show you about a bit. All sorts of things that would interest you. It would take you years to find out for yourself. Well, uh... After all, my firm's only a couple of minutes' walk from here. It'd seem a shame so close and, uh, and... I have enjoyed our talk so much. Perhaps when you've an hour free sometime, you'd like to call here, and if I'm in, I'll come with you gladly. I'll do better than that. I'll be round tomorrow at 12 to see how you're settling in. I hope you get your bearings. <laughs> all right, Mr. Clawson. That sounds very nice indeed. I'll expect you at 12, then. You see, down that way is Park Lane, and all along here is Piccadilly. Oh, heavens, what a lot of traffic. Do you know there's over 11,000 cabs for hire in London? It looks as though all 11,000 of them are jammed in here. <laughs> Again to cross now? Well, I'll have to put my trust in you, Mr. Clawson. I won't let you get run over. Oh, you'd better take my arm, oh, Very well. Now I can shut my eyes if it gets too frightening. Here we go, then. 
so much to see. I could spend days. And there's a lot more museums besides this, you know. Grace? Your poor lunch hours. But uh, this is what I'd be doing anyway, only on my own. You're quite sure it's not because you offered and don't like to disappoint me. Do you think that's what it is? No, Arthur. Well, then, tell you what. Yes? If the weather's like this tomorrow afternoon, come down to Greenwich on a riverboat. Greenwich? Yes, past the tower and all the wharves. See the Maritime Museum and the Painted Hall where Nelson lay in state. But uh, it's Saturday. Surely you don't want to trail about with me on your afternoon off. If you'll let me, Grace. You're sure there's nothing else you should be doing? There's... Uh, there's nothing at all. Well, then, I'd love to go to Greenwich. But I insist on paying. No. I shan't accept otherwise. No, I mean it, Arthur. Then we stay out for dinner and take a late boat back, and I pay for the meal. Well, let's see, shall we? I don't know how long it is since I've enjoyed myself so much, Arthur. Me too, Grace. Perfect. I wish today could have gone on and on. Never mind. Sunday tomorrow. Look at the sky. Clear as anything. Where would you like to go? Arthur. Yes, Grace? Don't be cross with me. You are married, aren't you? Married? Now, whatever makes you think Please, that... be truthful. Yes, Grace. I'm a married man. I... I should have told you. I, I... I thought it didn't matter until... until... No, Arthur, please don't say that. I must. There's no turning back now. I love you, Grace. I love you more than... more than... More than your wife. Arthur, why didn't you tell me? It, it seems so unbelievable. Here we've been going about for three weeks in my lunch hours, just seeing the sights. I, I mean, things don't happen like that so quickly. I thought we'd just be friends, and then sooner or later you'd move away to the suburbs, and that would be that. <laughs> now I'm making it sound as though you're the last woman a man would find himself in love with. No. I... Yes? Nothing. I, I wasn't going to say anything. Yes, you were. You were going to say that's how you felt, too. I... I... Oh, never mind, Arthur. It, it's no use discussing it. Grace, love, listen to me. And I swear every word I tell you will be the truth. I've been married seven years. For the past six of them, it's all been in ruins. No, don't say any more. Please, no, please listen to me. Hear me out, or when we get off this boat, there'll never be another chance. I can't listen. Grace, I beg you. I, I won't let it all just finish like that. Well, don't you understand? Oh, why did I ever come to London? That man who tried to steal my bag, why didn't I go straight home again? And sink out of sight forever? No, Grace, you were meant to live, to make life mean something, like, like we were beginning to make it. Don't you think that was meant? I don't know what to think. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to cry. You see, my wife's done just the opposite of you. She's taken all the meaning out of life, deliberately turned her back on everything we mean by living. Do you know why we have no children? Because she considers it unclean. Unclean? Oh, it wasn't like that when we married. But 
Before six months had gone by, she took up with this cranky religious sect. She went head over heels into it, wanted me to join, but I tried to make her pull herself together before it was too late. It only made her worse. They taught her that as I won't share her belief, I'm their enemy, her enemy. So I'm unclean, vile, cruel, everything an enemy is supposed to be. I have to make my own meals, eat them by myself, do my own cleaning. No smoking, no newspapers in the house, no... no anything. Oh, no. More than six years of that I've endured as pleasantly as I could, Grace. I've provided for her, tried to help her on the few occasions she'd let me, tried to look after her when she's been ill, and all the time I've gone on making what life I could for myself out of books and places where I could look at nice things. And then... It was just as though I'd been sent round that corner to meet you that day. And I've known what it was like to live again, instead of having to make do with second hand. I swear it's the truth, Grace. Arthur, don't you think that one of these days your wife must realize the mistake she's been making and turn her back on all this rubbish? Not now. She's one of their leading lights now. They'll never let her go, and there's nothing I can do to make them. Besides... It's in her mind, rooted there. You know what I mean? Oh, how terrible. Oh, I suppose I sound pretty sorry for myself. It's not as bad as all that. I, I'm out at work all week, and I like my work. I've got plenty of interests, but I'd forgotten what it was like to feel there was any real future in life until I started going about with you. So long as I knew I'd be seeing you for an hour next day, that was all the future I needed to carry me on. It's all I ask for, Grace. I blame myself, not you, Arthur. I've been too busy enjoying myself, or perhaps we'd never have had to come to this. I'm very, very sorry about the way your life has gone. And now I've made it all worse for you. No. I came to London wanting to start feeling alive again. And I never dreamed how... how like magic it would happen. Oh, Arthur, dear... No, it's got to end, and I, I, I don't... I don't want this to end. Oh, my dear, my love, my dear. No, no, listen. L listen, dear. You're right to say we can't ever be the same again now. But that doesn't have to mean an end. Yes. I won't let her stand between us. She's got everything she needs amongst her own kind. She doesn't care if she never claps eyes on me again. She's told me so a hundred times. Well, my darling, she can have her wish. Oh, you can't. You mustn't. Grace. Grace. This is the most serious thing I've ever said in my life. And I don't ask you to give me your answer now. Arthur. I love you, Grace. And I want to be with you and look after you. I'm asking you to be... be like... married to me in the sight of God. And I swear that I'll be everything to you till death to us part. Oh, Arthur. Coming. No, do be quick. 
You'll never believe this. I'm running out of paint again. Oh, Arthur, dear, you should have had a man in to do it. Thinking of the pennies, dear, that's all. You and your pennies. Look, let me pay. Darling, if I catch you paying any more bills out of your own money, I'll... I'll... You'll what? I'll jolly well... I'm hanged if I know what, but I will. <laughs> all right. I'll keep my money for good causes. Oh, darling, I do love you. Still? Oh, it's hardly been a year yet. Give it time to wear off. <laughs> now, what won't I believe? What won't you... Oh, oh, here in the newspaper, listen. Alfred Harker, falsely representing himself as having served in the South African War, was convicted at Great Marlborough Street upon three charges of having stolen handbags and other property from women in the vicinity of King's Cross Station. Well... But there's more than one of them working that trick, you bet. Ah, but he said he'd served in South Africa. Uh, something about a spear wound at Bloemfontein. Who ever heard of the Boogers using spears? Hmm? Does it say any more? No, no, that's all. Poor fellow. Poor? If it hadn't been for him, I'd never have gone that way. But I would, just the same. Only I'd have turned that corner into an empty street. Oh, Grace, my dearest, my dearest. It has all worked, hasn't it? Of course it has. Nobody's said a word against us. Your friends, the Duns, they've invited us to their place, and they'll come here when I get it finished. I think one or two of the chaps at work know something, but no one's given me the cold shoulder. I think they knew about her as well. Oh, Arthur, I'm so happy with you here in our own little house. You do know that I don't regret anything. It was meant to be like this. There's nothing for us to regret, either of us. Well, whoever can that be? On a Sunday evening? We'll soon see. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, sir. Mr. Arthur Clawson? Yes? I'm a police officer, sir. Oh, oh yes? I wonder if I might step inside, sir. I should like a few words with you, if I may. Uh, yes, certainly. Thank you, sir. Dear. Oh, it's all right, dear. Nothing. Was it somebody at the wrong door? Oh, I am sorry. Uh, my dear, th this is a police officer. Oh? Inspector Pitt, madam, and you are... Uh, this is my my wife. I see. Uh, may we go in, please? Oh, of course. Uh, uh, please excuse the untidiness, Inspector. My uh, husband's doing some decorating. It's a very nice little house, Mrs. Clawson. Have you had it long? Only six months. I see. And before this? We we lived in apartments. You've been married some time, then? Just over a year. Inspector, may I ask what it was you wanted to speak to me about? Well, sir, we have been speaking about it, in a way. I think you know what I mean. Now, look here. No, Arthur. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm glad you understand, madam. Would you be so good as to tell me your name, please? In full... It's Grace Elizabeth... I protest, uh, Inspector. I don't and see... And the surname, madam? Aldridge, Mrs. Thank you. Mr. Clawson, you are lawfully married to Mrs. Charlotte Clawson, aged 41, of number 17 Woodway Avenue, Highgate. Uh, yes, that's right. We're estranged. But you are in the habit of visiting your wife regularly? I ceased living with my wife 14 months ago. I go there every Friday evening to take her her money and see that she's not in any difficulty. So the last time you visited Mrs. Clawson would be just about 48 hours ago. Last Friday evening. 
Well, uh, yes, it was about eight o'clock. How did you find her on that occasion? How? Well, she was just the same as ever. She, she never would speak to me much. When she did, it was generally in unpleasant terms. You didn't find her ill, though? She was a bit off colour. She'd always had neuralgia, off and on. Well, the way she always treated me, I could never really tell. Inspector, there isn't anything the matter with my wife. I'm afraid so, sir. Your wife was found dead in her bed yesterday morning. <gasps> dead? Oh, I, 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 I don't know what to say. You can recall nothing from your visit on Friday evening? No comment made by Mrs. Clawson, perhaps, which uh, might account for her death? No, nothing at all. It, it's a complete surprise. I, I'm sorry for her. Mr. Clawson, your wife was found dead yesterday morning, and it's now Sunday evening. You'll understand that it's not been easy to trace your whereabouts. Yes, I'm sorry. And while the search has been in progress, there have been a number of developments. What do you mean, Inspector? A complaint has been registered in the names of Brother Joseph Bennett and several other members, or I should say brethren, of the body to which the late Mrs. Clawson belonged. The complaint makes certain allegations against you, Mr. Clawson, which is of the duty of the police to investigate. Allegations? Mr. Clawson is accused of living a life of immorality and sin, of absenting himself from his home and family, and of failing to provide for his wife's well-being in the manner which she could rightfully expect. She said she was glad to see me go. She didn't want me there. These are not accusations made by Mrs. Clawson, sir. They are made by other persons in support of one of a far graver nature. I'd better quote their exact words to you. That weighed down by the burden of his wickedness and no doubt apprehensive of ultimate desertion by his partner in immorality upon becoming conscious of her sin, he did find and make opportunity to do away with the life of the said Charlotte Clawson. But they're saying you... You're, you're surely not going to tell me the police believe this. There's rather more to it yet, sir. You see, there had been no doctor in attendance upon Mrs. Clawson for some considerable time. Well, yes, that, that's right. She never liked doctors. Hadn't seen one for years, to my knowledge. But there naturally arose the question of a certificate as to the cause of death. The doctor was asked to perform the examination, but in view of the lack of information as to Mrs. Clawson's state of health over a sufficient period, and the lack of clear indications as to the cause of her death, he found it necessary to decline to issue the certificate. But surely that's absurd. I mean, I, I could have told you about her state of health. You couldn't be found, sir. I, I see. And in view of the allegations which had been made in the meantime, there was no alternative but to order an autopsy. It was carried out yesterday, and the doctor's findings made known today. And Mrs. Clawson's remains contained a quantity of a vegetable alkaloid. Arthur... What does he mean? I mean, madam, a poison by the name of aconitine. No. I'm afraid so, madam. And I must ask you, Mr. Clawson, whether you can throw any light upon this. Me? No. It's, it's all so absurd. Who'd want to poison my wife? There are certain persons who would answer your question only too readily, Mr. Clawson. No, Inspector, it's all... Well, it's a mistake. Even they can't believe Arthur would have done anything to her. Can't they, madam? We shall get at the truth. Never fear about that. Grace, Grace, you know and I know 
that I never wanted harm to come to that poor woman. Oh, I'm sorry it has had to happen. Sorry for her. And sorry for you. Inspector, my... Arthur is innocent of this evil charge. Then he has nothing to fear, madam. The law doesn't take a share in prejudice, you know. You're to stay with us as long as you need to. Oh, you're so kind, Hilda. I'd hoped so hard that it would only be a day or so. But now that he's been remanded again, I... I somehow know it's going to be a long time. Well, James will be home in a few minutes and I'm going to send him straight round with you to collect your things. Hilda, Hmm? if it comes to a trial... Well, your neighbours, you know what I mean... Don't you know yet, my dear, that in London one scarcely knows one's neighbours. If there's anything they don't like, they can lump it. But tell me, have you seen Arthur yet? Oh, yes. He's as cheerful as he can be. He's more concerned about me than about himself. Ah, you deserve better than this, both of you. When you see him again, please give him all my love and say that we'll look after you for him. Thank you, Hilda. Darling? In the sitting room... Talking to a visitor. A visitor? Grace, how nice to see you, my dear. James, dear. Is there some news? Grace is coming to stay with us until it's all over. Just what we were saying she should do. Well, I I hope it won't be for long. Oh, surely not. When's the preliminary hearing? The day after tomorrow. Well, then, if you and Arthur aren't back in that little place of yours by that evening, Hilda can serve me my boots for dinner. <laughs> Will you have to be there, Grace? Oh, yes. The solicitor says I shall be called to give evidence. Right, I'll go with you. Oh, no, I couldn't let you. My partner can jolly well do without me for one day in his life. Tell you what, Hilda, when it's over, we'll bring Arthur back here and we'll all have dinner together. How's that, eh? Just the four of us. A real celebration. She's painted. Uh, get something, quickly. Oh, my smelling salts are in my handbag. Can you see it? Oh, yes, I've got it. Here you are. Good. James, tell me what's happened. D- didn't Arthur... They weren't satisfied. He's been sent for trial for murder. Damn it all, Violet. We only need to look at the man. I saw him at the preliminary hearing. You didn't. Well, I don't see what that has to do with it. <laughs> Trying to look as though they'd put him up there in mistake for someone else. Spot his type a mile away. Oh, really, Andrew? I don't know that any of us would cut much of a figure in the dock on a charge of murder. I tell you, an example should be made of men like that. Preying on women, lying in wait You for... aren't by any chance referring to the one who got her to let him carry her bags from the station. Of course I'm not. Probably never existed. Lawson's the one I mean, and well, you know it. Well, thank heavens it's Father who's trying this case, and not you. You've got him condemned already. Hello, hello. Do I hear voices upraised in argument? For heaven's sake, oh. not another word. Yeah. Well, and may we ask what the contention is this morning? Oh, nothing, Father. <laughs> you should know by now that Andrew and I always start the day with a disagreement. And it's one of your least likable characteristics, the pair of you. 
Now do come along, Evelyn, dear. Jevons has gone out to the cab. Yes, yes, I'm nearly ready. Uh, it'll be the happiest day of my life when this trial ends. Here you are, 80 in a fortnight's time, and I have to fuss you out of a house like a young stockbroker at the start of his career. And you'll give me a hand in the coat for you? Of course, Father. I've never admitted it before, but I shan't be sorry it's all nearly over. Do you know, I think I've heard every legal argument in the books. Thank you, my boy. When I started to study for the bar, I used to wonder what fraction of it all I should ever really need. Yes, dear. Now, do hurry. And just imagine the poor young devil starting out now, as if there wasn't enough to learn when I was a student, and now they have my opinions to perplex them as well. (laughs) (laughs) Father, father, tell us what you feel this morning. Violet. I mean, as you go off to try your last case, what do you feel? I really think that's most improper of you, Father. Not at all, my dear. As a matter of fact, I've been asking myself that very thing since I woke up this morning. Can't say I found much of an answer, though. The power, surely. Laying aside the power. No. I held power. Well, how could you even ask? Oh, yes, I can see I have. Much as I prefer to think of it as a responsibility. I trust I've used it always upon the right side. Of course you have, Evelyn. Would you agree, Andrew? I... Well, at least nobody's ever called you a hanging judge. Andrew! Oh, do be quiet, my dear. Son's 40 years of age. Let him speak. You know what they call you, Father, don't you? The prisoner's friend, I understand. Should I be ashamed of that? Of course not. It's just that... You speak of using your power on the right side. It depends, doesn't it? Which is the... Well, where mercy lies, of course. What else could it be? Unless I'm mistaken, your brother's view would be that while excessive mercy may be preferable to undue severity, the one offends as much against impartial justice as the other. Am I correct? Yes. Andrew, you should be ashamed. Found guilty of mercy. Oh, yes, it's serious enough in its context. The law is not concerned with sentiment. So, Violet, my dear, what do I feel as I leave to occupy my seat of power for the last time? Mm -hmm. I feel pride. My pride is to have earned, whether I've deserved it or not, that deplorably journalistic sobriquet, the prisoner's friend. Now, my dear, you see, I'm quite ready and in excellent time. I'll come out to the cab with you, dear. I didn't mean to criticise him today of all days. Oh, it was my fault. You see what I was saying before? Because it's father who's trying this case today, that fellow Clawson's going to get away with murder. And that isn't true justice. Father is not trying the case. You aren't trying to tell me that those 12 gawking fools in the jury box are. Oh, Andrew, I don't think we should go on with this anymore. Well, just tell me this. Who got Lancaster off? His counsel, oh, Mortlake. It was father's direction to the jury. It was reasonable doubt. Utterly unreasonable, if you ask me, and thousands of others. What about Ellerman, then, the Kentish town fellow, and Bellinger? Well, I thought Bellinger was guilty. And so did I, and so did thousands. But the prosecution didn't bring it home. The jury gave him the benefit of the doubt. The benefit of a doubt put into their minds by the judge. Father, trial by jury. I tell you, it's trial by judge. And always will be until there's a radical change in the whole system. When the judge happens to be someone like Gaskin or Peachy, who gets the benefit of the doubt then? Name me one case. One case. Where the man or woman Gaskin or Peachy sent to the gallows wasn't an out-and-out blackguard. Oh, blackguard, perhaps, but not necessarily a murderer. There is a difference. It's pretty slight in the cases I could call to mind. Well, I wonder how you'd feel, Andrew, if you had to stand there listening to other men arguing about something you might or might not have done, 
just as though you were outside the room, able to overhear, but unable to go in and set them right when they misinterpreted something or left something out. And then, to know that the decision as to whether you were to live or die rested with 12 gawking fools, as you call them, and no appeal for you afterwards. No appeal, Andrew. Oh, wouldn't you be glad there was a judge there to make sure they'd understood? And wouldn't you be glad still if that judge happened to be someone like Father, rather than a Gaskin or a Peachy? Mm, there'll be a court of appeal set up. That's a certainty. It's got to come. Well, then why not at once? Oh, there's so much opposition to overcome. Everyone's so afraid to tamper with the law. God knows the British system has its defects, but when you compare it with some of the others... I wonder how many poor devils will suffer from those defects until then. That's what'll do it. Mark my words. Some thumping miscarriage of justice that just can't be overlooked or kept quiet. Yes, wait till some home secretary is driven into a situation he can't evade by doing nothing. Or appointing a committee and then hushing up its findings. Oh, it'll come. Anyway, there's one man with nothing to fear. Who's that? Arthur Clawson. I wonder whether anyone's told him that he's about to be tried by Sir Evelyn Hampton, the prisoner's friend, sitting on his last case. Come on. If we're going to the court, we'd better be starting. Yes. Lord, gentlemen of the jury, it would be affectation to suppose that you have neither heard nor read anything of the case which you are now about to try, but it is my duty to remind you to dismiss from your minds any such information and to direct your attention solely to the evidence. <clears throat> the prisoner at the bar stands charged with the gravest offence known to the law, willful murder. If he be found guilty of that charge, then only one penalty can be his to suffer. Therefore, for his sake, and in the interest of public justice, it will behove you to give the utmost consideration to the evidence which will be placed before you, and unless it completely convinces you of his guilt, to give him the benefit of any doubt which you may entertain. <coughs> The allegation is that the accused, Arthur Clawson, took away the life of a fellow creature, his own wife, by poisoning, which act he perpetrated in a most callous and skillful manner. To do so, he availed himself of the knowledge which he undoubtedly possesses as an experienced chemist and of the opportunity which was his of obtaining undetected supplies of a slow and irritant poison. The prosecution will seek to convince you that he administered this over a period of time to his wife until, by the accumulation of poison and organic irritation, she sank and died. What we also know from his own statement before the Bow Street Magistrate is that Clawson was immediately impressed by Mrs. Aldridge's great personal charm and lively interests. He has admitted that he seized the opportunity to request a further meeting with her, to which she readily agreed. That, gentlemen, was on April the 17th. On May the 14th, Arthur Clawson and Grace Elizabeth Aldridge became lovers. Silence! Silence, big God!
turn, Dr. Winter, to what you told my learned friend, the Solicitor General. You stated that you have had experience of many cases of poisoning. That is so. Many? Well, number. What number would you say? Well... A hundred? A thousand? Oh, oh, no, no. More? No, no, no. Some uh, three or four dozen. Oh. (laughs) Silence! Silence in court! Uh, Well, then, amongst the three or four dozen cases of poisoning in your own experience, can you tell us how many concerned the criminal administration of poison? Uh, Yes, Doctor? uh, I think two. Two. And on these two occasions, what were the poisons used? Arsenic. In both cases. Both arsenic. And then tell us, Doctor, of the remaining uh, two or three dozen cases. He said three or four dozen, Mr. Puncher. I'm indebted to your lordship. <clears throat> of the remainder of the three or four dozen cases of your experience, Dr. Winter, how many concerned poisoning by vegetable alkaloid? Well, there, there were none. Then you have never encountered poisoning by a colony. Never prior to this case. Have you experience of aconitine in the course of your practice? I have not. Do you not know that aconitine appears in the British pharmacopoeia? Well, I am aware that it does. And are you then aware that its administration is practiced by many medical men in the treatment of persistent neuralgia? I am. Dr. Winter, when you commenced your examination of the remains of the deceased Mrs. Clawson, were you not aware that she had been for some years a victim of neuralgia? Well, I, uh, You must speak up, Dr. Winter. Uh, yes, my lord. I had no such knowledge. Did you take any steps to ascertain whether such might not be the case? No. Then, presumably, you took no steps to ascertain whether Mrs. Clawson had had recourse to aconitine in an effort to ease her neuralgia. No. Then it comes to this, Doctor. Having discovered traces of aconitine in the remains, you assumed and stated in your report that the deceased had been a victim of deliberate poisoning by means of that substance. And it did not occur to you, or you did not trouble, to inquire whether there might not be some perfectly innocent explanation for the presence of aconitine in those remains. And the street seems fresh after sitting in court all day. Yes. I do think Father might have adjourned for a little longer. If he can get through his direction to the jury quickly enough, we'll have a verdict tonight. Well, I don't think he'll take long. And I don't believe they'll even retire. When those doctors admitted that she could have died of natural causes, I expected the jury to say they'd heard enough. Mm-hmm. Sure of yourself, aren't you? Oh, you said there'd be an acquittal. Now that I've heard the evidence, I don't believe even our old friends Gaskin or Peachy could direct the jury to convict. I hate to agree with you, but I have a feeling you're right. Mind, I still hold no brief for Clawson. He left his wife to live with that woman. Too many like him these days. Oh, but that's quite Wife and to... home of their own, but perfectly ready to take the first opportunity of making up to any innocent woman who crosses their path. Innocent? Well, she's nearly 40, and she's been married. Oh, look, they're going in. Oh, yes. Come on, or we'll find someone in our seats.
gentlemen of the jury, the question which you have to determine is one of the deepest importance to the accused and to the public. Learned counsel have both stated correctly the grounds on which you must arrive at your verdict, but I should be failing in my duty if I did not repeat them. They are that if you come to the conclusion, as sensible men, that the case for the prosecution has been made out beyond all doubt, then it will be your duty to return a verdict of guilty. But if, after full consideration of the evidence both for prosecution and defense, you do not come to that conclusion, then you must not hesitate in declaring the prisoner not guilty. The prisoner at the bar is entitled to the benefit of all that has been urged on his behalf so ably, if I may be permitted to say so, by his distinguished counsel, Mr. Pumphrey. Many doubts have been raised, and he is entitled to the benefit of them. The accused denial that he had ever misappropriated any supply of aconitine from his employer's stock must be accepted in the complete absence of any evidence to the contrary. His assertion that he was not present in the office of Mrs. Clawson's solicitor upon the occasion of the first draft of her will being discussed must also be accepted in view of the uncertainty of the testimony of the solicitor himself, Mr. Um, Barnes. And I must accordingly direct you that the absence of evidence to show that it was the accused and none other who made that remark forbids you to infer that it was he. I have mentioned these matters in some detail, however, merely as illustration of my earlier remarks. Having done so, it is my further duty to remind you of certain details of the evidence which you may feel to be less favorable to the accused. I what could be more fair? He's given one side, now he gives the other. Wait and see. He'll show them their way to an acquittal and then tell them he entirely agrees with their verdict. You'll see. It has been urged on the prisoner's behalf that no poison has been traced to his possession. That may be so. Yet what you must ask yourselves is whether, in view of the weight of circumstantial evidence, there can be any real doubt that the accused had possessed the poison, that he had used it, and the deceased had died of it. You must consider whether, even in the absence of direct proof, other inferences which have been drawn do not point inexorably to such a conclusion. Who is there among you with so hard a heart that he can think without emotion of that poor, suffering creature, abandoned by her husband, being left to die alone, without one word of comfort, without one hand uplifted to ease her passing. It is, unfortunately, no uncommon occurrence in these times that a married man should desert his home for an unattached woman. But what consolation can it be to the poor victim to know that what she is now being made to undergo has also been undergone by others. Depend upon it, gentlemen. In considering your verdict today, you must consider the effects upon society of the
the unthinking immorality of those who have obligations to others dependent on them. Silence! Silence in court! Arthur Ernest Clausen, you have heard the verdict which the jury have pronounced upon your case, and I must remark that it is a verdict with which I unhesitatingly concur. I do not propose to add further to what has already been said during these proceedings. I sentence you to be returned to the place from whence you were brought and from thence to a place of execution, there to be hanged by the neck until you are dead. And may the Almighty have mercy upon you. No! unthinkable, unforgivable. Andrew, you must not speak of your father like that. But Andrew's right, Mother. I agree with him. Everyone agrees with him. Everyone? They shouted in the courtroom. They were shouting outside. Oh, they would have shouted whatever it had been. I was there when Bellinger was acquitted. You should have heard them shout. We're not discussing Bellinger. But those people. I've sat in your father's court often enough. I've looked round at their faces. Just almost as though I'd known them all my life. Oh, Mother. I've watched them queuing outside, waiting to gloat over a fellow creature fighting for his life. Haven't you seen them when the jury comes back with its verdict? They wait for their cue and then they shout. I know what you mean, Mother. But today I nearly shouted with them. Violet. So did I. Then I'm most heartily ashamed of you both. Ashamed of us? Don't you think we're ashamed? Andrew. Yes, Andrew? What is shaming you? Oh, even my dear, we, uh, we were just discussing something. Father, I forbid you. Don't forget that our forbidding days ended some years ago. Come along now, Andrew. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Father, we think your summing up today was a terrible mistake. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry, but what's the use of pretending? Don't listen to them, dear. Come and sit down. You look exhausted. I am a little tired. I think just a glass of sherry. Yes, uh -huh. I'll get it. Thank you. Andrew, your mother will take a glass, too. All right. Mother? Uh, thank you. Father? Thank you. Violet? Thank you. You know, it's always been gratifying to me that since the two of you were quite young, differences of opinion have been discussed freely and frankly in this household. I suggest, therefore, that we sip our sherry and discuss. No, Evelyn, not this time. My dear, I must reluctantly overrule you. This isn't a court. Well, if you force me to speak, then... My dear, you're, you're an old man. You're tired. You've been old and tired for several years now. And I begged you time and again to retire. After the Bellinger case, I nearly won... But you would go on until... Now, I can't say it. Until at last I gave you cause to be ashamed of me. Father, in the press room afterwards, 
They were saying you must have had private information. You knew he was guilty, and you knew it was your duty to put him away. If that's true, then... Well, then you, then you needn't feel ashamed of me anymore. Oh, please understand. It isn't you, it's the system. If I'd been a member of that jury, I'd have made up my mind Clawson was not guilty before the prosecutor had finished his closing speech. Then you, the judge, any judge, able to sit there and... Make them find him guilty. You wouldn't have made me, but you made them. You told them he was guilty. Oh, not in so many words, but those moral strictures. All that about the man having to be corrupt and evil because he'd left his wife to live with another woman. I could hardly believe it was you saying those things. I could see those jurors taking it all in. Though they weren't quite convinced one way or the other by the evidence they'd heard. They'd have given him the benefit of the doubt. But then you saw fit to remind them of their prejudices. You, with your reputation for beating prejudice down. What was it you said? You must consider the effects upon our society. You might just as well have said, this man left his wife to live with another woman. That is evil. Murder is evil. Therefore, this man is a murderer. Now, Edith, your view, please. No, I've nothing to say. I wasn't there. Be frank, my dear. I've already given you my view. You should have given up before. It hurts me to say this, but it, it hurts me even more to think of you exposed to, to ridicule. Every man must come to the limit of his powers. Yours lasted long after the age when most men are glad to admit theirs finished. And I was proud of you for it. But you passed your limit somewhere, Evelyn, my dear. And you never knew. And now you're ashamed of me too. Oh, not of you. Ashamed for you. Father... Tell us that you did have private information that he was guilty. Judges do sometimes. It's common knowledge. Yes, you had, hadn't you? Evelyn? I had no such information. Father, you know what this means, don't you? In what way? I must go down to my office soon and write an article condemning today's verdict and sentence as, as a miscarriage of justice. Oh, no, Andrew, no. I'll give my reasons for saying so. You, you can't. No, promise me you won't. He must do his duty, my dear. That's what it comes to for all of us. Well, you, you must ask to be excused, Andrew. Your editor will recognize a question of loyalty to one's own father at such a time. No, Edith. Private and professional loyalties are matters apart. They're like water and sand. You may stir them together and one may cloud the other for a little time, but you must not expect them to mix. Andrew is a journalist. I am... I was, I suppose I should say, a lawyer. My loyalty has been to the laws. I may not always have agreed with them. No, I may not always have agreed with them. But my duty has been to serve them. And I have tried to do my duty. A journalist's loyalty is to his profession, to his newspaper and its principles. Words, words. I tried to prevent this discussion, but you would insist... Now you're making me confused and, and upset. I, I think I shall just go up to my room. Oh, Mother, dear. All right, my dear. I'll go. Andrew, must you really? He understands. Well, Mother was right. Oh, why on earth don't they make them retire in time? The question I ask myself is, in all these centuries... How many other poor devils have been hanged by a judge? Oh, no, don't. It's too horrible. Not just because a judge grows old suddenly and goes past the limit of his powers. 
It's the others I'm thinking of, too. A few words from them at the end of a case and everything that's gone before can be undone. Think of the power these men wield. It, it's like the power of God. Only if they happen to be prejudiced or corrupt or senile or even just mistaken, then what they do becomes evil. Andrew, we've got to do something about it. We must. I'm going to. I'm going to write that article and spare nothing. We can dredge some good out of this. We may be able to justify it yet. Yes, this could be the turning point. The Home Secretary won't be able to shrug this aside. Promise you won't attack Father personally. I'll, I'll try my best. won't be easy to avoid. Andrew, aren't we forgetting something? All this concern about our own family and purifying the law. What about that poor devil in the dock today and that woman who loves him? Hold on. He was being tried for poisoning his wife. Oh, you surely don't think he was guilty now. I don't like the way the case was conducted. But the verdict was probably true enough for all that. Uh, I think if you don't mind, I'll concentrate on getting the law reformed. Heaven knows there's enough to be done. Yes, I understand. Water and sand don't mix. Well, you concern yourself with the water. You make it clean and pure. The sand will sink to the bottom where all the forgotten things lie. You can leave the sand to me. Now I don't know what you're talking about. It's time I was getting down to the office. See you in the morning. Perhaps I shall be going out early. Good night, Andrew. All right. Good morning. I I wonder if I might see Mrs. Aldridge for a few moments. Are you from a newspaper? Oh, no, nothing like that. I, I've come as a friend. Well, I don't think... Please, she... I want to help. Well, it's very kind of you, but I, I barely don't Hilda, think... what is it? It's nothing, Grace. Mrs. Aldridge. Look, look oh, here. I, I know your face. I was in court. No, not on the press bench. I was in the public seats. It wasn't idle curiosity, though. I had a very personal interest in being there, Mrs. Aldridge. My name is Hampton. Hampton. Sir Evelyn Hampton is my father. Uh, will you come in, please? Thank you, Mrs. Aldrich. Uh, in here, please. Uh, Grace. No, Hilda, dear. I'm quite all right. Very well, then. Just as you say. Will you sit down, Miss Hampton? Uh, thank you. Mrs. Aldrich... I do realize how you must have been troubled since the trial. Troubled? Oh, no. Everyone's been so kind. Well, look at all these letters. I never knew how kind people could be. The gentleman from the newspaper brought them. They said they expect a lot more. I'm so glad. Glad? Yes, very. Oh, you may think that's surprising coming from me, but I assure you that my father's opinions do not have to be my own. In this instance, they are most certainly not. I see. But should you... I mean, like this. If you're referring to etiquette, you're probably correct. But frankly, I don't care whether I should have come here or not. Why have you come? Because I wanted you to know, if it's of any comfort at all, that a member of my father's own family can feel that what happened yesterday was unforgivable. Miss Hampton, they called him the prisoner's friend. But how... Then how could he... I only wish I knew. 
I wouldn't lie to you. It's too late for lies anyway. But I swear to you that my... that Arthur would never, never have wanted to get rid of his wife in that way, even if we'd had to face a lifetime of living in the way we were. He was sorry for her. He wanted to go on helping her, but those terrible people had turned her against him. He told me again and again, I don't blame her, Grace. I blame myself for letting them get hold of her like they did. But he was wrong, Miss Hampton. If anyone is to be blamed, it's me. You? Well, don't you see? If he hadn't met me, he'd have gone on living with her, making the best he could of it. She would have died just the same, perhaps, but if he'd been living with her, if he hadn't come to live with me instead, there would never have been any suggestion that he'd wanted to kill her. Even if he'd left her to live alone, it wouldn't have looked so bad against him, but living with another woman, that was what they condemned him for. My father condemned him for that, Mrs. Aldrich. Some of the newspapers say he may have had private information about Arthur, but he couldn't. There was nothing. Nothing, I swear to you. Perhaps that's really why I came today. I didn't realize it, but I wanted to hear that from your own lips. I wanted to convince myself that if I do whatever little I can to oppose this sentence, I shall be doing what is really right, even if I see my father's reputation in pieces as a result. Oh, no, you mustn't. Mustn't I? Well, not even if it's my father's reputation or your husband's life. My husband? You called him my husband. So I did. I shan't apologize for it, though. I, I don't know what I can do to help. Perhaps no more than get up a petition and pray. I shall do both of those things, believe me. Someone will hear, Mrs. Aldridge. Someone will be ready to listen. They must. Miss Hampton, I... Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Well? It's very fine, Andrew. I've never known anything so hard to write. You haven't been to see Mrs. Aldrich? Good Lord, no. Why should I? Andrew, I hope you will write another article doing everything possible to destroy this picture of Clawson as an immoral, evil man. What? Well, he's neither the one thing nor the other. You've ridiculed the medical evidence, you've questioned the verdict on legal grounds, and very convincingly, too... But on the next page, there's a full report of the trial, and everything Father said about Clawson is there for everyone to read. Well? Don't you see? You've argued that he should never have been convicted because the trial was conducted improperly, but you've said nothing about those remarks about his character and morals. Well, the readers can decide on that for themselves. But that's just what they can't do. All they'll read is that he met Mrs. Aldrich, fell in love with her, and left his wife to live with her. Well, put like that, it sounds as bad as it could be. Where does it say that he's a gentle, decent little man and that they set up house like any respectable married couple? We don't happen to print romantic fiction. More's the pity, then. You can't expect the ordinary people to get worked up over law reform. But they might if you let them see how someone just like themselves can be misjudged like Clawson. My dear, you sadly undervalue our readers' estimation of themselves. You think they're going to identify themselves with a poor little wretch like Clawson? Who are they, then? What do they think they are? Who they are and what they think they are are different matters. I don't know. If you want that sort of thing, printing, you'll have to go elsewhere. 
Don't expect us to risk offending the moral susceptibilities of the upper middle class by suggesting that a man living in sin can be anything but a blackguard because it just won't wash. I see. Mere human considerations don't enter into it. Why? Don't blame me for this, my dear. I don't own the newspaper. I write about the things I'm told to write about, the things our readers want to read. Clawson in the abstract, yes. Clawson and his mistress and their respectable little suburban home, no. Andrew, when we were little, we used to say our prayers side by side before we got into bed. Do you remember? Yes. Do you ever pray now? Yes, sometimes. Then pray tonight, will you? Who for? Arthur Clawson? No. For yourself. Ah, no one, dear. Come in, Sir Ernest. Thank you. I thought I heard my children arguing in here a few minutes ago. Do yours argue all the time? I have a son in Uganda and daughter's married to a clergyman in Hampshire and Dorset, respectively. The opportunity for argument rarely presents itself. Yes, yes, I was forgetting. Do take this chair. Thank you. May I ring for some coffee or tea? Uh, please, no. Hampton, uh, you will forgive me if I'm brief and to the point. Of course. It's about this Clawson business. Yes? The Home Secretary is extremely concerned. Really? He's away in the country at the moment, uh, but he has instructed me to see you. To be brief, he wants your assurance. Upon what? Your attitude at the trial. I'm afraid I don't quite follow. You've seen the newspapers, no doubt. A number of them? Well, uh, we all know what to expect from journalists. Uh, with certain exceptions, of course. Mm, yes? I'll be quite frank, Hampton. The secretary is not a popular man. I see. Normally, he's, well, uh, contemptuous of the newspapers. He prefers to stand aloof and let them argue things out between themselves. Annihilate one another, is his phrase. Uh, very much one of the old school, you know. So I've always considered. Uh, just occasionally, and uh, uh, this is one uh, such occasion. Uh, to stand aloof is not sufficient. Uh, the newspapers are unanimous in their different ways. Ah. Uh, there are also certain petitions beginning to circulate. I um, understand that your daughter is um, taking an active part. Anything my daughter cares to do, I regard as her affair entirely. Oh, quite, quite. Uh, nevertheless, as I say, there are to be petitions. And I understand that the secretary has been approached by telegraph uh, by a number of eminent men who propose to press for a special inquiry. Into the verdict? Into the way the verdict was reached. I see. So if I understand correctly, the responsibility is likely to fall upon the Home Secretary to act upon these recommendations. Just so. And he has sent to me to make up his mind for him. Oh, I uh, wouldn't like to put it so bluntly. Then? Uh, my instructions are to seek your assurance that the verdict on Clawson was a proper one, and that it was arrived at in a way which the government may justly defend. I think the Home Secretary had better have his inquiry. Well, I... Uh... The fact of your having come here at all seems to me to answer his question for him. If my conduct of the trial is in doubt, as it appears to be... Then, for justice's sake, an inquiry is indispensable. 
Oh, not at all, not at all. And let me hasten to say that there is no personal imputation of any kind. None whatever. Uh, certain allegations have been made. Uh, such is frequently the case. On this occasion, they have been made rather more forcefully and more widely than is usual. Uh, they cannot be ignored. Uh, that is not to say that they cannot categorically be rejected. If they are to be rejected, uh, then it is the Home Secretary who must do this. In that case, he must be prepared, if necessary, to defend his attitude in the face of the press, the public, and the parliamentary opposition. Personally, I think it would be less than human if he did not seek some word of assurance before committing himself. Tell me this, Sir Ernest. If I were to say to you now that, on consideration, I'd come to the conclusion that my conduct of this case had left something to be desired, what would occur? An inquiry would be set afoot, of course. And the condemned man? A stay of execution. An inquiry of this nature could take months. And after? Well, naturally, if the verdict were confirmed, a sentence would be carried out. If it were not... Yes? That would be for the Home Secretary to decide. Surely Clawson would be released. Released? Well, hardly likely, would you say? I don't quite understand. Oh, come now, Hampton. One can't anticipate a committee's findings or a Home Secretary's ruling. But can you conceive of a government, any government, turning a self-confessed scoundrel loose in society in the face of its duty to suppress crime and uphold public morality? If I may remind you of your own words in your direction to the jury, you must consider the effects of all... Thank you. I remember my own words quite plainly. You've answered my question, and now I'll answer yours. As for the Home Secretary's personal unpopularity, as you term it, he must continue to manage that as best he may. As to the assurance you seek from me that Clawson was properly tried and condemned, you may have it. Ah. I know of no reason why the sentence should be varied in any way, and I shall oppose with the utmost vigor any suggestion that it should be tampered with in order to placate sentimental public opinion. I shall let the Home Secretary know at once. Uh, he'll be very much relieved, I can assure you. In fact, I think I may safely advise him to continue his country holiday undisturbed. Uh, good day to you, Hampton. Uh, I'll see myself to the door. Evelyn. Ah, oh, there you are. Oh, why, you're quite flushed, my dear. Have you been arguing with Sir Ernest? Arguing? No, no, there was nothing to argue about. Oh, I'm so glad. Was it about... The Clawson business, yes. Mm. The Home Secretary, that unpopular man, wanted my assurance that he can hang Clawson with a clear conscience. I gave it him. Evelyn... Yes, my dear? This uh, has all been so upsetting for you. I'd have given anything to see you spared it. But there is something I must ask you. What is it? I want you to give me that assurance, too. You? I'm not a government official. I'm not a member of the public or of the bar or the editor of one of those newspapers. I'm not... Even your son or your daughter, who have their own ideas about what is right and what is wrong. I am your wife. And I've been a, a part of you for many years. I've always 
name better than to question you about your cases, and I've, I've never even sought to discuss them with you, except when you yourself wanted to tell me about them. And you've heard your last case now, and I'm thankful for it with all my heart. But this one time, I must break all my own rules and ask you, why you sent this man to the scaffold? I am. Please, my dear one. You know the reason. No. I'm asking because I don't know. The man is a murderer and a blackguard. A murderer? Perhaps. The blackguard? Evelyn. My dear, I've heard you too often in the courts and outside them to hold any doubts about your views when it comes to mere morality. Remember? I was one of the diehards once, years ago. It was bred in the bone with me. And it took years of your argument to convince me that black isn't always quite so black when you look closely. And you convinced me at length, Evelyn. And I've watched you all these years trying to convince others less willing to listen to you. I've seen you exasperated and despairing when you failed. But I've always seen you try again. Evelyn, dearest... What is it about this case, about this man, that has made you change? Edith, listen to me. Yes, yes. I'm going to tell you something. Please, please, Evelyn, please, tell me. No. There's nothing to tell. Nothing I can say. Oh! Oh, Evelyn... demonstrations in the streets. I have some urgent business to attend to. Now, Andrew, if you please. I don't care how urgent it is. It can wait until tomorrow, until after... Oh, Father. Why? What's happened? Andrew, there's a mob coming this way. It was to have been an orderly procession, but hundreds of them seem to have come from nowhere. They're going to make trouble. I know they are. Some of your friends, no doubt. I warned you about all this rabble-rousing. I tell you, it was to have been an organized procession, to present a petition. Petition? Well, at least we're trying to do something. You might have known this would happen now of all times. How do you do, Mrs. Aldrich? Why, how could you? How do you do, sir? It's very good of you to come here, Mrs. Aldrich. We shall have a good deal to say to one another shortly. Sir, in less than 24 hours, my... Arthur Clawson is to be hanged. I came to make one last appeal. This is outrageous. Andrew, I don't know the etiquette in these matters, and I dare say I've gone against it in coming here. I don't know whether I can hope to do any good anyway. All I know is that if I hadn't come, if I hadn't at least made this last try, I, 
I should never have been able to bear with myself as long as I lived. Mrs. Aldridge, as you can see, I'm preparing to go out. Father. I'm going to pay a call on the home office. When I return, I shall explain to you and to my children here. And then I shall ask for your forgiveness. Forgiveness? Arthur Clawson will not be hanged tomorrow or any other day. I, I don't... Oh, please. Have no fear, Mrs. Aldrich. What I have to say at the home office will ensure... Father! Oh, Father! Oh, father. What was that? I thought I heard... Oh, Evelyn! Evelyn, what He's bleeding. It was a stone through the window. Oh. Quickly, fetch some water and yes. some brandy. I'll go. Oh, thank you. Oh, Evelyn, my dearest. It's all right. It's done to cut the skin. It isn't serious. Your father is 80 years old, Andrew. Here, let me take his hand. Mm. Thank God they're going. Police are moving them. It's all right, my darling. I'm here. Go out. No, you must lie still, dear. You'll soon be better. Go out. I must. I must go. It's urgent. I've something to say. What does he mean? Something about having to see the home office. Oh, Take no notice, Mother. Is that you, Andrew? Yes, Father. And I'm too weak to get up. Yes. Home office. Go there quickly. Fetch him here. Now, Father, keep as quiet as you can. Home Secretary Rock. Any anyone. Here, urgently. It's a matter of life now, and death. Do lie still, my dear. It is make him go. Send Violet at anyone. Right. I must see someone quickly. Oh, very well then. Yes. I'll go. Be be careful. Come back safely. Disgraceful business, Lady Hampton. Abominable. Ah. Well, Hampton? He's much better now. I can't say how pleased I am to hear it. Uh, mark my words, Hampton. Her Majesty's government will press for a complete inquiry. Take a seat, Sir Ernest. Mm. Thank you. As I was saying... Uh, listen to me, please. Oh. I have something of the gravest importance to say. You must act upon it immediately. Uh, Violet, Andrew, I think... No, I wish you all to stay... Mrs. Aldrich, too, please. This concerns her more deeply than it concerns any of us. Yes, sir. Uh, Ronnie, I wish you to inform the Home Secretary immediately that a grave miscarriage of justice has been perpetrated. Arthur Clawson must be reprieved at once. <laughs> Not only must he be reprieved, he must be released from custody and publicly exonerated from the charge upon which he was arrested and tried. But this is preposterous. In due course, he must be compensated by some considerable amount of money for the suffering which he has been quite wrongfully compelled to endure. This is... Uh, Lady Hampton, I am very sorry indeed to find your husband in such a condition. I fear that this blow he has suffered must have... Had Sit a... down, sir, please. Andrew. Yes, father. You will bear witness that before I was struck down, I was preparing to leave this house on a matter of urgent business at the Home Office. That's quite true. Thank you. Unfortunately, before I could do so, I suffered this slight misfortune and had no alternative but to summon Sir Ernest Rowney here. Yes. What I was preparing to say to you then, Rowney, is what I'm saying to you now. Clawson must go free. But uh, he must be set free because he should never have been convicted. His trial was grossly mismanaged by the judge. But you yourself were the judge. I was. And believe me, no one is more equipped to declare that a miscarriage of justice has occurred. Arthur Clawson was convicted of murdering his wife because it was my resolve that he should be so convicted. How could you? 
How could you? Mrs. Aldridge, I said that I should have an explanation to offer you and your forgiveness to ask. When you have heard my explanation, it may be that you will not find it possible to offer that forgiveness. But first, will you please hear me? I will hear you. Thank you, madam. Now, may I quote to you the words of a great American, Ulysses S. Grant. In his inaugural address in 1869, he said, I know of no method to secure the repeal of bad or obnoxious laws so effective as their stringent execution. The laws of this country, Mrs. Aldrich, are good laws. I have been their servant throughout most of a long lifetime, and I think I may claim to have pondered them more thoroughly than it is given to most men to do. They are good laws, but they are not infallibly so. The men who serve them are, in the main, good men. A good man can often temper a bad law with his own understanding and charity. But any law, good or bad, in the hands of a man of prejudice, lacking both understanding and charity, well, you have seen for yourself what the outcome may be. They called you the prisoner's friend. I was no friend to Arthur Clausen, Mrs. Aldridge. That is why I must hope for your forgiveness and his. Uh, look here, Hampton. Do you mean to say that you got this man convicted deliberately in order to make some personal protest against the state of the laws? It was the only means available to me. Nonsense. Of course, I could have expressed my views at some suitable gathering which would no doubt have been convened to honor my retirement. Some passing notice might even have been taken of them. But then what? Immediate clamor for reform, questions in Parliament, petitions circulating, mobs in the streets? I think not. I should have been set gently down as an aged hobby horse rider enjoying a last canter before putting out his tired old mount to grass. And sooner or later, another Arthur Clausen would have had to face a judge with more concern for the sanctity of public morality than for justice or charity. I see. And in your desire to make your melodramatic gesture, have you paused to give one thought to what it must mean to your reputation, to your family, uh, to the standing of the government? I care not one fig for the government in this matter. You came here and sought my assurance that Clausen could pay his penalty without embarrassment to the government. I questioned you as to what the alternative might be. You babbled of committees. I asked whether Clausen might go free. You threw up your hands at the notion of such a man being turned loose upon society. You expressed your concern for public morals and the popularity of the Home Secretary, not to mention relief that he might continue his country holiday undisturbed. Not one word, Rowney, did you utter on behalf of the wretch in the condemned cell. It had been on the tip of my tongue to disclose everything to you and spare Clausen further suffering. You showed me by your attitude that my whole gesture would have been made in vain. Your committee would have sat, reported privately to the Home Secretary, and that gentleman would have issued some inscrutable statement to the effect that in view of certain legal points, Clausen's sentence had been commuted to penal servitude for life. And that, believe me, would have been the last ever heard of it. I have heard enough. 
I shall consider it my duty to report your views to the Home Secretary himself in the most stringent terms. Pray do so. But first, kindly arrange for the immediate reprieve and release of Arthur Clawson. That will be for the Home Secretary to decide. No. No, you can't, please. Well, say he'll be reprieved now. Have no fear, Mrs. Aldridge. Before you go, Sir Ernest... Yes? There are four witnesses here to what I have just said to you. My son, as I think you know, is employed in a quarter whose influence I'm sure the Home Secretary would scarcely underestimate, whatever he may think of the press. Are you giving me to understand that... When you have left, I propose to dictate to my son a complete account of my actions and motives in this matter. I shall omit no particular, especially those touching upon the attitude of the Home Secretary and his advisor. You... You wouldn't do such a thing. Don't be afraid. It will not be published unless, by this evening, Arthur Clawson has not been released and his case made the subject of an immediate inquiry. A public inquiry, Sir Ernest, into the state of the law. This is... this is... Blackmail? Yes. In a sense, I suppose it is. I think the motive is sufficiently honorable to appeal to the British public. But, as I've assured you, it need never come to that. Release Clawson, set up your committee before which I shall give evidence, and there need be no more said. Oh, Evelyn, if you give evidence, you, you'll have to tell the truth. Exactly. It will all emerge. Yes, I shall speak the truth, and not the whole truth. I shall make plain the reasons why Clawson should not have been condemned and must go quite free. I shall... Admit that on sober reflection, I have no alternative but to confess that the prosecution evidence was totally inadequate, as it most certainly was, and that my direction to the jury was altogether mistaken and ill-judged. Father, don't you see what that would mean? Quite plainly, Andrew. But it will then occur to someone to suggest that a court of appeal should be set up as a safeguard against such things. Your reputation. Everything you've worked all your life to build. I know. I've been aware of it all along. No, Father. Tell the whole truth. I'll speak to my editor. He'll come out in support. I know he will. No, I forbid it. Absolutely. Evelyn. No, my dear, not even for you. <sighs> Very well, Hampton. I'll speak to the Home Secretary at once. He, um... We should, in any case, be the last to wish an innocent man to suffer. Thank you. There, um, there will be repercussions, you realize. Ridicule, uh, your um, peerage, perhaps. Uh... My God. What is it? I just thought... Sir, Ernest, you turned as white as a sheet. Anything the matter? No, no, I... It suddenly occurred to me... What might have happened if that stone had struck you harder? My God, Hampton. How could you dare to do it? Good day, madam. Goodbye. Oh, Evelyn. He's right. To risk so much. Andrew. Yes, father. I wish you to go to your office immediately. Speak to your editor. But... To your editor and nobody else. Prepare him for an article which I shall dictate to you when you return. But you tell Raleigh. A different article. My confession as to how I nearly took an innocent man's life.
because of a blind surge of moral indignation. But that wasn't the reason. You've told us. No. Andrew, you you could say it's been a mistake, only a mistake. Your father is is an old man, too old to, to have been asked to bear such responsibility. You say that and... No, no, no. There must be no excuses made. Lay the blows upon me with all the might of your arm. Do you understand? No excuses, or I've made Clawson suffer for nothing. Yes, Andrew. This is your chance. Now they must change the law. Change the law, Violet. No, no, it would be a mistake to hope for so much. Laws change by evolution. In time, perhaps, it will be made impossible for the Arthur Clawsons to fall victims in this way. It will not be in my lifetime, and perhaps not in yours. But we must never give up trying to make it so. I offer my reputation, such as it is, as my contribution towards this change. I chose a way that will be remembered. The old hands will remember it, and the young men now coming to the law will read of it and remember too. The newspapers will remember it, and so will the public. The next Arthur Clawson to be tried by a judge will have more than his counsel to defend him. Or... Or it has all been in vain. I'll be back as soon as I can. They affect contempt for the press, Mrs. Aldridge. It's the measure of their respect for it. Yes. Sir Evelyn, how is your head now? My head? I'm sorry, my dear. I can't ask you to forgive me now. I... I am trying. Perhaps when Arthur... Of course, my dear. Violet, will you go home with Mrs. Aldridge? Certainly, I will. You've been very kind, but... Sir Evelyn. Yes? How could you? How could you bring yourself to do it to him? I was prepared to sacrifice myself. Not much sacrifice for a man close to the grave. I accepted that my family must suffer with me. But to impose suffering upon a stranger, upon an innocent man, and upon you, Mrs. Aldridge, the decision did not come easily. But causes sometimes demand their martyrs. In my estimation, this cause was worthy. In your estimation? But had you the right to use another person's life in a... A cause of your own choosing. Isn't... Isn't that the prerogative of God alone? I plead guilty, Mrs. Aldridge. I had no such right. If I had died before... Before... I should not have forgiven you then, Sir Evelyn. You... You can forgive me now? The prisoner's friend... Yes, I forgive you. Thank you, my dear. That was Felix Aylmer as Sir Evelyn Hampton in Trial by Judge, a play for radio by Michael Hardwick. The rest of the cast was as follows. Grace Aldridge, Mary Chester. Harker, Wilfred Carter. Arthur Clawson, Louis Stringer. Inspector Pitt, Norman Claridge. 
Hilda Dunn, Eva Stewart, James Dunn, Alan Haynes. Andrew Hampton, William Fox, Violet Hampton, Nicolette Bernard, Lady Hampton, Griselda Harvey. Solicitor General, Hamlin Benson, Herbert Pumphrey, QC, Eric Anderson, Dr. Winter, Kenneth Hyde, Sir Ernest Rowney, Austin Trevor. Other parts played by members of the cast. The play, which was recorded, was produced by Betty Davis. That program was first heard in March 1964, and we should like to make it clear that the events described were purely fictional and the characters imaginary.